0: A lot of the hype around Web3 makes it sound like it's really different from the world as we know it today. But what I love about this conversation that I have with Shai Redneck is that he's actually going to show you that it's really not that different from life as it is right now. Pretty cool. So Shai Redneck, he is a global tech and segment lead for Web3 and blockchain at Amazon Web Services, where he advises Web2 and Web3 businesses on their tech strategy when he's not in working with businesses and advising them, he's teaching Web3 technical concepts to employees at Amazon Web Services and researching the future of blended reality and sovereign digital societies. Uh, there are going to be certain points in our conversation where Shai refers to the audience as developers, but I know a lot of you aren't developers, so or maybe you're not even technical, so that's totally cool. But please, please don't tune out, because the underlying message is going to really help you. Maybe if you want to understand the Web3 ecosystem much better, if you want to build a business that leverages Web3, then understanding more from a developer perspective is definitely going to help you be able to really grasp Web3 and all the different concepts. So please listen to this episode. uh, Enjoy it. If you have any questions, if there's any topics in emerging tech, the tech trends that are really influencing how it is that we live and interact with one another, our society, let me know. Hit me up at Miss Jill Ford. I want to make this a place where it becomes really easy to understand some of these concepts that can feel really daunting. But you know that these are things that are definitely moving the needle in our society. So hit me up on Twitter at Miss Jill Ford. If you like this episode, please share it with people, uh, subscribe, leave a review. It definitely will help me be able to share and grow this podcast so it can really help as many people as possible be able to understand these technical concepts in really simple and easy to understand ways. All right, now listen to this interview. Please enjoy it with Shai. All right, Shai, I'm so pumped to talk to you today. And first question I want to ask you is really if you can help ex- clarify for people Web3 and the metaverse compared to how it is that we're actually operating in the world today.
1: Yeah, so so I think it's important that we, we try to simplify and break down the two sides of it, right? So if we start with Web3, think of Web3 really as two pieces. There's a the monetary policy side to it, right, which is all the tokenomics and things you hear about in Bitcoin and the monetary reserve of Bitcoin and that stuff. And then you have the technology piece of it, right? And when we talk about the technology piece of, of Web3 and blockchain and everything underneath there, metaverse is a part of that. So we can have the technology of Web3 right, or, or or blockchain, which is really a shared database. That That's really what it ends up being, is a shared database that we share amongst entities. We sometimes share in the public and wide open. And we all, as the users of that database, have the access and control to that data. So if that's what Web3 is, right? And, and Web3 is this emagulation of all these different technologies that, that again, we've already had, then building in Web3 really isn't that much different than Web2, right? Because all we're adding that we're calling Web3 here right now and today is really that blockchain layer. And so for building for blockchain, yes, there's some subtle differences, but for the most part, it's like Web2. And then if we look at the the metaverse piece that's there, right, or the the what I like to call the multiverse, it's it's not really that much different than what we've had. I mean, there was a, a game I think from the 80s called Palace, and then there there was uh, Second Life in the in the late 90s, and that was like the second version of the the metaverse, if you will, the multiverse. And in the end, it's the the multiverse, the the medium that you're using, whether it's AR, VR, or on your laptop and it's in 2d in a browser or, or maybe it's even a chat room right i i was thinking like is it the you know 90s aol chat rooms <clears throat> is that really the multiverse right or, or more of the verses right it's it's that medium of how you represent yourself is ultimately what the multiverse is mm-hmm. and how we choose to consume and use that multiverse is going to change and depend on the user and depend on time right and so this concept of uh multiverse is really, I think, it's part of it's dependent on Web3. 3. Web3 3 is part of it dependent on multiverse. It all depends on how you look at it. And ultimately, it's about moving um, assets between different networks or moving identities between different networks.
0: Yeah, I like how you just compared it to what it, how it is that we're doing things now. And what you just called out about the, data, the shared database um, aspect, since at least when I've been doing some research, it sounds like there's some people compare it to like a distributed database. And some people say, no, it's not at all a distributed database. Yeah. So we we call it, some
1: people call it distributed ledger technology, right? And you'll hear that often in like public sector and government discussions, Um, you'll hear, oh, this is just a DLT, it's a distributed ledger technology. That's really what it is. Uh, So now the magic comes with what we build on top of that.
0: Yeah, and I think with that, uh, maybe you can kind of also get into what is the difference between a public blockchain network versus an, a private blockchain network?
1: Yeah, so so let's think of that public and private really as means of access, right? When you have a public network, anybody can access that network. When you have a private network, only certain people can access that network. Now there's different types of private network, right? And so private networks can be ones that I set up with with you only, the ones I can set up with a consortium with multiple people on there, but that's one of the key differences. And when it comes to the technology side, we can kind of narrow in and, and focus on that that key difference, right? It's the members of that network, right? And so in the public network, you don't know who the members are. That's kind of why it's public, it's anonymous, right? You don't have that detail of the membership. In a private network, you know who those members are, right? Or at least you've vetted them some way and you've permissioned them, you've allowed them to come onto your network. And so if you focus on technology, that's really what it is. Now, if you focus on the monetary policy side of it, the big key difference is with a private network, you generally don't have any sort of currency there because it is a private network. So you don't really need a currency in order to transact on there. Now, some private networks will use a token as a means of reward points or something for doing activity on the network, and that's fine. But that's the key differentiator is with a public network, you have a currency like Ethereum or Bitcoin uh, or any other uh, coin out there.
0: Yeah, it sounds like the private network is a a lot like how business is really done today um and yeah. the public network more is really of what really is web3 but are you actually seeing like companies use a public network as a way of maybe being able to do business have more transparency we're we're seeing more and more
1: of that because i think the i think the evolution came from this attempt to use private networks as a way to say okay hey we're we're willing to do this blockchain thing um but we sort of need to do it in a safe manner and they try to do it with with private networks and then eventually realized, OK, well, we need to have some of hybrid networks and have some data on chain, have some data off chain. Uh, and then now this move really more towards public chains um, and especially with something like ZK proofs, which for simplicity is just the idea of being able to verify something without having to know the underlying data. So we're seeing use cases like that where the the ability to have a public chain and put your data on a public chain, but do so in a way that preserves the privacy. Um, is much more palatable to a lot more enterprises, businesses because now they're not going and forcing other businesses to use a certain technology or a certain chain or a certain thing. It's just, hey, we, we're we putting data in the public. This is the structure of the data that we're putting out there. Any company can read it, and you can now interact with it. So, yeah, can you
0: go back to what you were saying before about off-chain and on-chain, and that some companies are doing both and really what that actually means?
1: Yeah. So the idea, right, is – I want to be able to prove that I have a certain data set. I want to prove something, right? And, and let's use simplicity, you know, my age or something, right? I want to prove that I'm over 21. Now, the, the restaurant or the, or the bar doesn't need to know that I'm over 21. It just needs, it, sorry, it just needs to know that I'm over 21. It doesn't need to know when I, when I, when I was born. Um, same example, right? If I go work in a, in a facility, they need to know that I've been certified to do a certain job. And they don't need to know necessarily where I got certified. They just need to know that I have that certification. So how do you prove something like that, right? How do you show that you have done something, right, or you're of a certain age without actually revealing that data? Where That's where the ZK proofs come in, right? And so when you talk about the public and private chain, it's a lot about this concept of proving something and putting a proof, which is a mathematical computation of something, right? So let's just take my name, Shy. Right. If we take my name Shy and we create a hash of the name Shy through a hashing algorithm like an MD5 or a SHA-256, right, you'll get a mathematical value of the name Shy. It's just four characters S-A-J-I. So long as you don't change the characters, that's what the name is Shy. Now you don't need to know that the name is Shy. You just need to know that it is this mathematical equation. And so long as you know that you have the mathematical equation, right? Let Let's just say, you know, there's 32 characters in there and those 32 characters add up to something, right? You know that that is shy. You don't need to know that it's shy underneath. You just need to know the mathematical answer. So again, think of that that answer. And so in a public and private example, what we're seeing is the answer to that mathematical equation, right? That hash is what's being put on a public network and the data is still being retained on a private database somewhere. So you're pointing that public hash in the metadata, at the location of the data in the private database, or tying it together with some sort of an idea or something that then says, hey, this is how you can verify that this data on-prem or this data in another database or private database or private blockchain or something is what it is, because the the proof that mathematical hash matches the mathematical value that I put out in the public
0: chain. So something that you just touched on that I really wanna get into, which is that the cryptographic mechanism of being able to verify you're sending data, it's, and it's really you who is actually doing that, sending the data. These cryptographic mechanisms aren't new. They're, they've been around for years. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, other, but people say that uh, Web3 is supposedly more secure um and a lot of that being because of the consensus mechanisms or maybe there's other types of mechanisms so maybe could you kind of explain yeah. what really it is that makes it more secure
1: yeah and let, let's look at a, let's look at a really simple example right we we we've had peer to peer before i think most people remember napster and other peer to peer type tools right so that's definitely not new but what is it about blockchain network or web3 you know blockchain network when you have that peer to peer technology that's different there it's it's what you said it's that consensus layer right? And, and consensus is all about how a network comes to an agreement. That, that's what it is. So how do each of the members on the network, right? Let's, let's remember, a blockchain network is really just a node. Uh, it's just a network of nodes, right? Nodes are nothing more than servers, laptops, desktops, a phone. It could be my watch one day, right? So how do all these nodes come to an agreement? Maybe let's think of nodes as like people in a neighborhood, right and and let's think of instead of coming to an agreement on a transaction on network we're coming to an agreement on a pizza right and so you know julian think of you know when you were with your friends and you're hanging out with you know five or six friends it's fairly easy to come up with an agreement on you know hey are we eating cheese or are we eating pepperoni it's not that hard right um you, you have a discussion you know you agree to it maybe somebody you know really wants pepperoni but they they see that they're not the majority there they're the minority so they back off but that gets harder the more people you have in the network right and, and the more people you have in the network you have to come up with other ways to come to consensus because it's not practical anymore for people to stand around in a circle and raise their hand you know to which pizza they want so the the concept of consensus right is coming to that agreement mm-hmm. and so simple way to think about it is in that example of the pizza when you have you know three people come to an agreement on cheese pizza and another three people come to an agreement on pepperoni pizza they come together and and what what do they agree on okay they come to cheese pizza agreement now they go to the next group right and so on and so on and those groups come together in the end right the more groups you have in the network right the more you have to see consensus the longer it is that time to finality right the longer it takes to come at that final decision that's ultimately what gives that security to the network is the number of the the number of times that transaction has been validated throughout the network and the number of nodes that have come to consensus on the network uh, as to that transaction so
0: shy so i want to ask you about Um, The public network um, mainnet, so to get some clarity for people, because if they were to start um, actually using the public network, it looks like there's only really one called mainnet. So does that mean that every transaction, whether it's someone ordering pizza versus someone else, I don't know, getting soap, it all just happens on the same network?
1: No, so let's 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 keep in mind, right? There there is no one blockchain, right? Part of the cool thing about blockchain networks is that there there can be and there is thousands of them, um, and there can be a shy chain network, right? I can easily deploy my own network. You know, you and I can sit in a room and deploy the Jillian network and create a you know, token on there. So anybody can launch a network, right? Now there are the more successful ones because they have a higher volume of users, they have a higher volume of people on there, but there's no one network, right? And so therefore, when you think of this concept of mainnet and you're really asking yourself, you know, is mainnet this one main network? What, what it really is, is it's the main network of really that ecosystem that you're using, right? So think about it, I said blockchain network a lot before nodes. Now let's think of that blockchain network as more of an ecosystem because it's an ecosystem of applications and ecosystem of tools that are on there. It's an ecosystem of, of, of different protocols um, and different people building on there. And so that mainnet is the main network, it's just the main network where everything happens. Now you have other test networks. Now, depending on the on the on the blockchain network that you're using, right? The protocol, if it's Ethereum, if it's Bitcoin, if it's Avalanche, Solana, Phantom, or Nier, any one of those other ones, right? They will each have their own definition of what a test network is. Right. But they will always, in general, have their mainnet. And so what happens is you'll have the mainnet. And you'll have all these different test nets where you can go and build your application. You can go learn how to use those applications. If you're a user, you can get free tokens to try out those applications. And I said free because it is a test development network. It's not a production network. And so that main net, right, or that main network, that is the production network. So in Ethereum's case or in Bitcoin's case, that's where you have those Bitcoin or Ethereum transaction fees because you are transacting. On the main network, and you have to pay for the miners on the network to validate that transaction. So that doesn't happen when you're on a guest, uh, not a guest, when you're on a test or development network. So you don't pay those fees. You don't have as much congestion, and so you can you can uh, your application runs more performant. You can do more tests on the application. So. That's really the difference, right, of, of the DevNet and the TestNet. Most people, on an average case, will not be using anything other than the mainnet. Um, what's important to understand is which mainnet you're using, right? Is it the Avalanche mainnet? Is it Phantoms mainnet? Is it Ethereum's mainnet? And each one of them will have their own unique name as well. So they'll call their mainnet um, something that's unique to that network. And they'll also call the uh, test network something that's unique to that network as well. So that's why I kind of like saying it's you get in that ecosystem and then when you're in that ecosystem, you start learning what is the mainnet, what applications are in that mainnet, and then how how is the test or DevNet used um, in that network.
0: Okay. So I guess that just opened my eyes then that there are other <laughs> different types of mainnet networks. So are there advantages maybe to picking one? Like, do people need to kind of do their research of like which one they should be actually using? or
1: yeah, and it's it's kind of it's it's a good place to be in, I think, but it's also a challenging place to be in because we're not in like twenty seven, eighteen, twenty nineteen 18, 2019 land, where if we're running an application, we're mostly going to do that on Ethereum. We have easily you could sit down and have a choice between 25 different networks, and any of those 25 are good choices, right? Like any any of those um, will have benefits to the application that you're building. Some of them will be more general purpose chains. Some of them more, what we're seeing is more app specific chains where they're specifically built to do things like derivative trading or they're built to do things like IOT use cases. Um, and so we're seeing those uh, use case specific chains, but ultimately there, there's many chains out there, right? And so uh, what we have to think about is how do we interact across all those chains, right? And how do, we, how do we then sit down and choose that chain, right? And so what's important, again, is starting from the use case. If you understand you don't, have to, you don't have to know the solution for what you're building, right? But just what am I trying to build? Okay, I'm trying to build an app that can verify a user's credentials. And because it's in the government, it it needs, you know, I don't know, 2,000 transactions or verifications per minute. Okay, well, that's a measure that we can use to assess what network can run that capacity, right? We already know we need some sort of identity verification. So we need a wallet that does that. So again, we can look at the different networks that are out there and we can see which one of them package these tools that go along with it. Because that's the hardest part, is just knowing which tools I need to use. And so we'll often see customers and people making a choice of, hey, I want to use that network because that network has uh, those tools either built in or are very, very well documented in the community.
0: Got it. So it sounds like for it's really useful for someone who is developing an application. What about for someone who really wants to really understand Web3 more because they hear that it's like the hot thing that's going to just keep growing. Are there advantages for that person to start really understanding all the different networks? They, they don't need to understand all of them. I don't I don't think that there's a need to, right? But
1: I think there's an important value to start off with Ethereum, right? If you're getting started, you're, you're generally going to start off with Ethereum. That's usually the network you're going to use off first. So you're going to learn Ethereum. You're going to learn about the Ethereum virtual machine. You're going to learn how to develop in Solidity. Just by doing that, you will learn about other networks as well because other networks are EVM compatible you also cannot limit yourself also to Ethereum. Um, That's the other challenge as well, right? So as a developer, you may say, I'm just gonna start with Ethereum it's fine, but you still need to have a multi-chain strategy because that's what customers are starting to expect in this space. They're expecting that you're going to be deploying on multiple networks, you're deploying on multiple chains, they're gonna be offering that liquidity. If if they're not necessarily technical and they don't understand all those little nuances and details, they're expecting at least that you, as a developer or as a tool, will know how to work with the multi-chain tools and applications of the future. So you don't have the luxury really anymore to say, "I'm just going to build on this chain." Right? And so my recommendation always: don't spend a lot of time trying to boil the ocean. Because in fairness, a lot of these things are going to change, you know, in, in in a month or two from now. There's there's changes all the time in this space. So pick at least an Ethereum-compatible chain, one that makes sense, that aligns to you. Maybe if you don't need Ethereum compatibility, you can build on Cardano or, or build on uh, Polkadot. And you build there, and then ultimately you start thinking, okay, well, phase two, what is that multi-chain strategy? What's our next change that we're going to adopt? And how do we adopt that? The great thing is is that there's so much tooling available in this space now, especially when you come to talk about multi-chain liquidity and multi-chain bridging, that as a developer, you don't really have to understand that much anymore. You just need to understand how to use the APIs and the tools that are out there to make that call to conduct a multi-chain swap. And all you have to do is say, I wanna swap X for Z, and the tool figures that out underneath the hood for you. So we're in a much better place now than where we were you know, two years ago, but at the same time, there's still more options.
0: It sounds like, I guess maybe a new analogy, and, and please correct me if this is wrong, but it sounds like when people were starting to think about um, building websites they had to think about making it accessible for phones and then like mm-hmm. making sure it's compatible with iOS phones versus like Android phones is that maybe very similar what T were saying with how you have to be able to use different chains
1: yeah that, that, that's a great analogy i i would say we're even earlier than that so this is like the days when as a web developer you have to build for either internet explorer or netscape um you know, or, or even a little fast forward a little bit, you have to, you know, build for for Internet Explorer, Firefox and Chrome and Safari and all these other browsers. Right. It's it's we're in that same dilemma, if you will, right now. And, but, you know, as a web developer now, you don't really necessarily care anymore. You don't necessarily think all those things. So eventually we'll get there, too.
0: But I think one thing I also want to want to say, because what you said it is. uh Sounds like, I guess, for the person who maybe just really starts, wants to understand this because they know that this is going to be even more prevalent in the future, that as long as they understand the core fundamentals, they don't really necessarily need to understand the underlying details because there's going to be more and more abstraction away from the underlying details. Like If the developers don't have to understand the underlying details, that means that the person who's not even going to be building applications doesn't necessarily have to understand the underlying details.
1: Yeah, and that's that's what the exciting part is. We've seen, I would say, probably in the last four to five years, a lot of no-code or low-code type of solutions being built out there, right? Um, And what they're doing is they're taking advantage of all the APIs that all these tools are exposing. Well, the really cool thing about a blockchain network is there is no APIs. The data is there. It's just, you know, do you have the keys to unlock that data? And so if you have the keys, you don't need an API, well, then all these low-code, no-code tools – can go start pull, pulling and plugging in data from any blockchain network that they want to. Um, and so, it, it, you know, you can very easily see a world in a you know, year or two from now where you say, hey, I want to build a DApp that does, uh, and, and the DApp for Clarity is a decentralized application, you know, that, that does a, a swap of a token or, you know, is a game that on the back end has a reward mechanism for every time that you complete a level, you get an NFT or something. Well, great. As a developer, I don't have to worry about those things. Actually, in fact, today, you don't have to worry about that. You know, If you wanted to mint an NFT, there there's several development tools out there where you, you pay per usage of the API and you just issue an mint an NFT API command. You wait for the response and you get the location of that NFT. So really cool stuff that you can do even without the user having to have their own wallet um, and connecting their wallet. So really cool developments out there. I think I think the question will be how is all that underlying complexity obfuscated in that wallet experience you know a year or two from now because that's where it needs to be because my my mom won't use it until it's at that level
0: <laughs> my mom won't either <laughs> yeah. so the you've mentioned like no code um types of tooling so is that something that you're already starting to see that people can actually start being able to build businesses or just build kind of their own personal projects that are decentralized applications without writing any code.
1: So yes, because either if you take chains out there and like Tesla is an example where there's an API layer to that chain, or you take even like Ethereum and you look at the the Eth Explorer, or actually most of the chains I would say that have that Explorer built into it, there's different levels of API. So you don't necessarily need to know about the underlying layer, right? And those no code local tools all they're asking you for is what is the api endpoint so you give them the api endpoint you give them the security key and the the uh, usually there's a secret key and a shared key you give them that value right and now those tools can query that data like it was anything else so it it doesn't matter that it's an ethereum network it versus you know your gmail or something because ultimately it's just just an api call it's just more do you as the developer or business user understand that. And I think that's the part that we don't have yet, right? Like I think if I look at a lot of those tools, when they're getting inputted data from different data sources, and, and in fairness, this isn't just blockchain data because it, it depends on the maturity of that data source. As the, as the data sources are matured in that platform, the platform builds better tooling to help the consumer understand that data source, right? So when it, when it's a Gmail, right? Understanding, what fields in that email are the subject versus the the body versus the HTML versus the recipient versus the sender, right? It's fairly well-documented. These no-code tools sometimes will even auto-extract those values for you because they know those, right? All those fields have been mapped. I think that's the part that we're not quite seeing yet on the blockchain world when it comes to that because it's an API integration. It's not really that deep of an integration yet. Um, Now, what's cool is that we're seeing – the blockchain API partners, right? So the Web3 partners that are building API solutions on top of blockchain, their APIs are very well documented right? and very well detailed. And so, when you take the no-code tools and and partner them with those API platforms, you still have to do a bit of work, but you get a you 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 get a lot of value in in a really easy way to accelerate your application. So that's we'll really
0: cool. There. So it sounds like I mean someone who is doesn't have a developer, maybe it's just a one person that wants to build something, maybe either it's a business or just like a project, they can actually start to be able to build for some use cases their own decentralized um app. Yeah. I mean so let's remember what,
1: what a decentralized app is, right? Because decentralized app is really c- comprised of two main pieces. Right? There's the back end and the front end. The back end is nothing more than a, than a contract. And so you can go on a on a site today like Third Web Um, or a couple of other, you know, minting type solutions out there. And you can go mint an NFT, you can deploy a smart contract that does something, right? Maybe every time I send um, $10 in there into that smart contract, it's going to mint an NFT and send that NFT to Jillian's uh, address, right? So you can have very simplistic contracts like that, that are in these tools today that you basically just click through and deploy. Now, if you want to get more complex, that's where it requires more complexity in there. So... I think in time, again, we'll, we'll, we'll see some of that complexity come down into that no-coding level um, where it'll just kind of be within the UI and you point and click and you can say, you know, hey, I, I want to you know, mint an NFT and I want to do a smart contract and I want to co- collect 10 or 20% royalty. Now, the front end of that, right? That doesn't change, right? That, that's the same thing as any front end application that we build today in a Web2 layer, right? There, there's, in, there's plenty of no-code you know, front end tools to to drag and drop and, and build a front end. And then when you're connecting to the backend, usually you're defining some sort of APIs. Well, instead of defining the APIs to my, you know, Postgres or Microsoft SQL
0: server, I'm just gonna define the APIs to my blockchain network and that's it. Wow, yeah, it's um, it's definitely really exciting. And I also wanna kind of take a step back to the blockchain ecosystem, because with your the work that you do, you talk to businesses every single day that are building um, on top of this blockchain ecosystem, they're building different businesses. So I'd love to understand from your perspective of what are you seeing that's really built now for some of those trends, and what are your, some of the things that need to be built in the future in order for blockchain, um, really Web3, I guess as a whole term, to be something that's mainstream. Going back to your mom being able to actually use it and understand yeah. what it is that is going on.
1: I, I think the the challenge with answering the first question, right? And I, I'll usually get you know asked, is there like a killer app for Web3 that's like finally selling Web3? And, and like I I don't, there's never going to be, right? And so the the point is the the killer app depends really on the person, right? It depends what you're looking for. And if you're looking for a killer Web3 app, then then really what are you doing? Like you're walking around just saying I want to I want to use a Web3 app? No, you want to use an application. So you don't know that Web3 is under the hood. That's the whole point. It's really easy to use, right? It does the things that you want to do, right? And so ultimately, what is the Web3 app, right? It's about really ownership and owning your data. It's only access to that data. It's owning control that. It means today that when I write an article and I write a post or I I say something, I have ownership to that. I can choose when I delete it. I can choose where I want to host it. I don't have to have it on one platform only. I don't have to be uh, told by one platform how to monetize that. I can choose how to monetize that. So we're seeing a lot in the social media um, and really around like uh, media content distribution, both for like this kind of stuff, you know, podcasts and like two friends hanging out talking about stuff, podcasts and like, you know, official, official content distribution where they're actually looking at alternative ways to get out there where they can post the data out there and the users that own that data can then choose how they want to share that data. The music industry is a great example where, where there's a couple of companies looking at, um, taking the the beat or the the loop that it, uh, a sample artist creates and then being able to give them that right to distribute that sample on their own and then have the world man- the, the he's built into that distribution on its own. It's not hypothetical. There's already uh, apps doing this like chain Music, uh, Audius, and a couple of other ones. So we're already seeing these use cases, right? It's just the more mainstream adoption. So to me, you know, the the question of like what is that catalyst event, what's that thing that's going to happen, it's not going to be one main event, right? It's just going to be this continuously ongoing development of this idea that we want to take back ownership of our data, we want to control more of our data, and it really comes back to control. It's not so much ownership, right? We 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 say a lot of times, you know, Web3 is about ownership. Well, ownership to a lot of people, I think, means control. And when you control something, you own it. Because when you don't control it, do you really own it? Right? And so ultimately, if the question comes down to control, that's gonna what's that's probably what we're gonna see develop more and more of, right? We're gonna see more tools that make it easier for more people to control more aspects of their digital life. So whether it is in the metaverse, whether it's a digital ID, whether it's an NFT, whether it's a game, it comes back to that control. And as a person saying, I control and want to do this, and I make that that conscious decision when I, when I want to do something. All right, so I think that's what we'll keep seeing in an evolution of.
0: It's related to what you were just saying, and it's an analogy that I was starting to think of for myself of like, what is this period in history like compared to another period of his, history? And I'd love to get your <laughs> opinion if this is true, but I kind of feel like, especially with the observing what companies are out there in the Web3 space, I feel like we're in maybe like the industrial revolution where we're building railroads and um and so people who are saying like okay what's the deal about this industrial revolution it's like well we're still kind of building that the mechanism the the railroads the the roads mm-hmm. to be able to go places but we haven't we don't have maybe. Not everyone has a car yet, or trains aren't able to go across country. Does that? D- yeah. Am I right Am by that?
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. No. No. So I, I like looking at you know. I mean, it, it's ultimately the the question here is you know like what is it that's making this industrial evolution or sort of like the this Web three revolution right? Like what's the the biggest thing here that that happened? And and I think ultimately what we really need to look at is that it's it's the evolution of sort of the Web technologies and what it is that we're doing with those technologies right? And and sort of the Web two world. We built the highways, we built the the internet and the, the piping for people to get around and move and do things, right? And now what we're starting to redefine is how people actually start using those networks, right? And and the advantage and how they build more of communities as opposed to just siloed environments and things on their own. So I, to me, it's more about we are redefining the meaning of trust and we're redefining the meaning of human interaction, right? And in the last two years, we've had this unfortunate event where we've now been forced to redefine what it means to, for us to human interact, right? What it, does it mean to be a friend, right? So we're redefining some of these fundamental basics of a societal construction or a a personal connection with somebody that that is ultimately what we're defining in this, what we're calling Web3. It's not so much about the t- technology. It's the underlying ecosystems, the underlying communities, the underlying new token models or, or, or new economy and finance models that, that are possible, that the technology is enabling, that it's not for today, it's, it's four or 15 years from now, right? And so I, I look at the generation that's there today, right? And we're talking mostly about Generation Z. And I've heard, you know, all hope is lost and, you know, they're walking with their phones all the time. And it, it, I, I agree with that last part. Um, I do see a lot of Generation Z walking around with their phone all the time. I don't agree that all hope is lost. I think the important part is, you know, it's the generation that's going to teach us that this lack of loyalty and lack of wanting to take ownership is not the right way to go. Right. And and as we continue building toward the future and we look at, you know, what comes after Gen Z and sort of the generations afterwards as they continue to adopt technology, what we'll ultimately learn from this generation is that it's really about redefining what that control means and redefining what that human interaction means and what does it mean to have somebody's trust. And so I kind of look at it as like an interesting experience for, experiment, if you will, for the next uh, few years as we see this play out.
0: I love that explanation. So what are some of your favorite resources that you use to better understand Web3 um, and maybe other trends that are happening?
1: Yeah, so I, I I I'm I'm gonna start with the unpopular answer. Don't use YouTube. Um, I I mean like maybe use it as a one-time resource to check something. Obviously, you should watch this this show and podcast on YouTube. I think that's a good idea. But 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 no. But also, trust but verify what we're saying, right? Don't don't just take it at carte blanche because that's that's a very dangerous thing in general, right? And if we're talking about sort of revolutionizing what it means to own data and what it means to trust it really means that you need to redefine what that trust means to you and, and where you get your resources. Right. So if you want to use YouTube, fine, but, but trust that resource. Right. But in fairness, actually, same thing goes for anything else. You know, when, when it comes to resources, I like to read um, I, I I'm not a, a huge book reader, but I like to read white papers. I like to read posts. I like to read articles. I think that reading that content allows you to form your own opinion and I think that's the important part in the space. We're still a lot defining a lot of things that, that we're talking about. And in fairness, a lot of us that talk about these things are still figuring them out as we're talking about them. So when you read it in writing, you naturally begin to question and you start to think about what does that mean to me versus what do you do it online? You watch a video or even a podcast. Um, so I like to read. And then, you know, after I read, I like to to usually listen to a podcast or two. I like to watch a YouTube video or so. Um and I, I really like to look for perspectives that countermine, right? Like it, it, i I enjoy listening to people that go off on a limb and I initially think, well, this doesn't make any sense. They're they're what the heck are they even talking about? Um and then I listen to it and it's like, okay, well, I, I may agree with some of it, I may not agree with some of it. That's okay. But I think that's the important part. So white papers are key, right? Go to that that site that you're looking at, you're looking at a cool new product protocol, project or something that's out there. Go read the white paper, read the light paper if you can, right? If they have a pitch deck or something, read that pitch deck. Um their their Twitter, their Twitter um tweets, not their retweets. Uh, that's a different discussion. Their Twitter tweets are actually a good source of I would say like a compass, right? Don't use that as a concrete source of information, but it's a good way to very quickly get a direction of where the company's going by skimming through some of those tweets. Now, remember, you're getting the marketing if you're going through the the main channels, but if you find out who their developers are and you start following the developers, you start following um, some of the engineering leads on the team and you start following their retweets, right? Now you start seeing which of the ecosystem, things that are out there, do they actually really consider valuable, right? To the engineering team. So that's the key part, is because there's there's a lot of noise in this field, uh, coming from marketing teams, coming from engineering teams, but ultimately what it, what is it that the builders are getting excited about? That's how you validate that thing that you you just read about. You're like, oh, this is really cool. Oh, so the builders are also really excited about this. Okay, maybe I should go learn about it. And then you go learn and you do research. And I, I academic papers are great. They're very hard to follow, um, you know. But try reading academic paper. Read the abstract at least um, and then go on from
0: there. I love that. That's a r- really great way to end this. So shy, thank you so much. Where can people go learn more about what it is that you're up to and follow you on social media?
1: Yeah. So I would say either my, my Twitter is just shy SS, uh, like Sam, Sam, um, or you can follow me at LinkedIn at shy prednick. Um, and I appreciate it. I just I
0: try to have fun every day. Awesome. Shy. Thank you so much. Thank you too. I appreciate it. If you like the episode, leave me a review on whatever podcast platform it is that you're using. And if you've got any feedback, any topics that you want to learn about, any suggestions, hit me up on Twitter at Miss Jill Ford. I want this to be a place for you to be able to understand the technologies that are changing how we live and interact with one another. And this is a place where all of those technologies that even though they are complex, The people that I bring to you and the topics that I explain in videos and in podcasts, I want to make it a place where you can understand them in a very simple and easy to understand way. So any feedback, any topics that you want to learn about on emerging technologies, hit me up on Twitter at Miss Jill Ford. Thank you so much. And I can't wait to be with you on the next one.